I've been asked, Pastor Ken asked me to lead you in the reading of this morning's scripture, which is Matthew 11, 25 through 30, and this is the New Living Translation. This is Jesus' prayer of thanksgiving. At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Let's open the Word of God this morning. Uh, We've had a little upgrade on our logo. Uh, And uh, we use this logo uh, all over the place, on our website, uh, on our letterhead, uh, in our community, and uh, and a host of places. And now the preschool have a logo that they use to identify their ministry. It's just a little bit different. And this fall, there will be a a hundred children, preschoolers, every Monday through Friday in the preschool upstairs. So we are, we're just amazed at the interest in the community and how it has grown. And we've hired the newest, uh, latest teacher. So the preschool is excited about the fall ministry and Nicole's heart is at rest because our staff is already complete and we're still a ways away from the fall. So we're grateful. I suppose that if you phrased it in a certain way, you might say that we all have a logo. We have been logoed, if there is such a word. It is what we are like. It is what we are like. It is who we are. Organizations use the word branding. It is what we are about. Does it illustrate our character, our personality, who we are? What is your logo? What does it say about who you are? People actually think about who you are. Do you know that? (laughs) They actually think about who you are and how you live. They do. And if they don't know all the answers about who you are, they make something up. (laughs) They gain perceptions. They have some kind of perception of who you are. I've had perceptions of leaders in other churches in our community, and I have discovered they weren't fully informed perceptions. When I actually got to know them, I changed my thinking. I thought I had them pegged. I was wrong. I thought I knew their logo. I was wrong. I thought that they were arrogant. They weren't. I thought they were isolationists. They weren't. I thought they were snobbish. They weren't. 
And uh, thanks for praying for the logo uh, of our community. Our logo has spelled harmony and a sense of welcome in this beautiful community. And we're going through some challenging times right now. And we need people to pray for the unity of the community. And as our prof used to say years ago, to slow the pace and broaden the base. Slow the pace and broaden the base. Process slowly. Get the best knowledge you get can get. And keep the family together in the journey. And that's partly our role as a church in the community. To slow the pace, to broaden the base. The church in North America gets branded. That's one of the biggest challenges that we face today. There are perceptions of what the church is like. Some are accurate, some are not. But everything gets branded, including yourself and the church. Now let me ask you a question this morning. There were three years in which Jesus walked upon the face of this earth. He limited himself to being in the land of Israel. Oh, I, we could add the little stretch he was in Egypt as a baby. But he, he limited himself basically to being in the land of Israel. And it was there that he became very well known. We have a whole New Testament that speaks volumes about Jesus. And history treats him very well. He's affirmed as the Son of God. And we affirm that. He's affirmed as the Lord, the Savior, and we affirm that. We love him, and we can learn from him. Did he have a, a logo? Well, not the typical logo. He didn't have J.C. plastered all over the place. But he had a reputation. Jesus came to be well-known. People came to, to him. He was highly regarded. So when people thought of Jesus, especially people who were poor or outside of the religious establishment of the day or were marginalized, what did they think? What did they think of Jesus? How did they see him? What slogan, what tag would they have given to this man? Was it negative? Generally, no. No. Now we need to go to the scripture and just come to the heart of what people might have thought about Jesus. And this morning I thought it would be good just to identify two perceptions for us. Two perceptions. And I think they're more than perceptions. And these are random verses that strike my heart, not in order of priority, but they just inform me about Jesus. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. Now there's a logo. If you were a graphic artist and I gave you this verse... And you were asked to put that into a logo. Some of you would say, what a great challenge. Let me add that. Number one, gentleness. He's a place of refuge. He's a place of rest. He provides rest for the weary. Anyone come to church this morning? And if I could really ask you, 
person to person, how are you? Do you need some rest? Are you weary? I expect some of you would say, oh, if you only knew. He provides rest for the weary. People who are tired and exhausted from the heaviness of life can find rest, rest, when they come to him. When you come to Jesus, you don't find someone who pushes you away and tells you, get lost, figure it out for yourself. You find a person who is gentle, gentle at heart. No, when you come to Jesus, he is the one who is gentle at heart and very receptive to anyone who comes. That's what he's like. He's gentle. He's receptive. And he makes life easier for you rather than more difficult. And his yoke is easy to bear. Now, a yoke is used between a pair of oxen to allow them to pull a load. It's a way of saying that as followers of Christ, when we submit to his leadership, he gives us a yoke. It's called our discipleship. And he calls us into service, pulling for him. But it's not cumbersome. And it's not hard. It's delightful. God delightful. God surprising. It's easy to bear. And you find great joy in being yoked to Jesus Christ. And he will pull with you. And you will be amazed at the strength that you have when you get in his harness. And he doesn't stack burden upon burden upon burden upon us, rule after rule after rule, not like the religious establishment of the day with all of the rules. He says, my burden is light. It won't weigh you down. In fact, you will find liberty and joy. Is there something there for us in the branding of who Jesus is? Isn't it wonderful to have someone in our life like Jesus who is gentle, who doesn't weigh us down with rules and burdens, who gives us the privilege of harnessing up with him and pulling. And when we do that, you would think, oh, but it's so hard. But it's not. It's easy. His yoke is easy. It's a joy. All of us uh, enjoy receiving invitations to a meal, to a wedding, to a concert. And usually when the invitation is printed, you know, on a little card, there are those cryptic letters at the bottom called RSVP. And we know what those letters mean. They're an abbreviation of a French request to, to reply to the invitation, saying, please reply. Unfortunately, not everybody knows that. A couple who found a political asylum in this country during the Second World War, they came from Central Europe, and they were not well-versed in Eastern culture. And one day they received an invitation to a wedding. And at the bottom of the invitation were those cryptic letters, RSVP. And in his thick Eastern European accent, the husband said, Weif, what does it mean? RSVP. She said, I have no idea. So they thought for a while. And then the husband said, Weif, I know what it means. Remember to send wedding presents. Remember to send wedding presents. But they made a mistake by thinking that the message was a demand. You must do this. When in reality it was 
an invitation. Unfortunately, there are many who make the same mistake about Jesus and the gospel. They think it's a demand. Oh, I got to carry this one too. When in reality, it's an offer. It's a free invitation. The late John Stott used to tell the story. He said some years ago there was a famous professor of Hebrew in Edinburgh University, and his name was Dr. John Duncan. He was affectionately called by his students Rabbi Duncan because of his excellence in Hebrew. Such were his attainments in Semitic languages that his students were persuaded that at night when he got down on his knees that he probably prayed in Hebrew. So in order to check this out, they... They, they moved along the corridor outside his bedroom and put their ear to the keyhole where they expected to hear great flights of Hebrew rhetoric and mysticism. And as they listened, they heard this wonderful prof say, Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. If a Hebrew professor can do it, I see no reason why you and I can't do it. Come to me, he says simply. Wherever you're at in your, your journey, come to me. You need rest? I do that best. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. My first impression, gentle. He cares about my heart. He really cares about my life. He'll actually listen to me. He'll take time to be with me so I can encounter him. And I love that part of the logo of Jesus. The second part is compassion. May I just take you a few pages further along in the same gospel. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And this passage is immediately following the cruel death of John the Baptist. Remember? Herod ordered that, that uh, they cut the head off of John the Baptist in order to fulfill a vow that he had made to Herodias' daughter. And when the tragic news uh, of the death of John the Baptist came to Jesus, do you know his reaction? He just wanted to be alone. I'm like that too when something traumatizes me. I'm sure it was grief. And sometimes you just need some space, don't you? To grieve and to pray. Oh, we pray for that little town in Quebec, Lac-Megantic, uh, devastated by this trail, uh, train derailment. So much grief, so much confusion, so much pain, so much to rebuild. Pray for that community. In verse 13, it says that Jesus heard the news and he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Oh, but that was not to be. Sometimes when you want to be alone and grieve, somebody else needs to be cared for. <laughs> exactly what happened. But the crowds heard. I mean, they're on a different agenda. They're on a different page. But the crowds heard when it, where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. So when Jesus wants to be alone, he looks across the distance and he sees this massive humanity moving toward him. 
Was he ticked off? (sighs) Leave me alone. Give me some space. No, verse 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. He had compassion on them. I think that's the same word that is used 12 other times in the Gospels. Compassion. And it's such a profound word. It's the quality of understanding the suffering of others. The quality of understanding the suffering of others and wanting to do something about it. It's an amazing quality. It means more than just looking at the issue and saying, oh, that's horrible what's happening. But it means observing the suffering, but also entering into it. But it even goes beyond that. It points to the source of the emotion, the visceral part of a human being. Move deeply inside. A depth of feeling, heart, lungs, kidneys, bowels, the King James, the bowels of compassion. Jesus was moved. He suffered with those who were suffering. And isn't that the message of the cross? That Jesus came and took our burdens upon himself, our sins that he suffered. And he felt so deeply and he was so burdened for our lostness that he did something about it. He did something about it. He just didn't see us in our lostness. He entered into our situation. It was part of Jesus' heart to suffer and to care and to make a difference and to enter into the suffering of others. I wonder what he, what that says about understanding his branding, his logo. One of my favorite passages uh, is in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus is traveling. He moved from place to place. And in his travels, he would teach and he would share the good news of the kingdom of God. And he would say that in the kingdom, things are different. That in the kingdom, things don't operate the same as they do in normal life. And then to demonstrate the picture of the kingdom, he would heal the diseases of the people. And it just spoke volumes of his love and his care. But verse 36 picks up the heart of Jesus, the visceral reaction he had. And here it is. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more, 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 more workers into the field. And that's the end of chapter 9. But chapter 10 is the sending forth of the 12 disciples. And you have to see the linkage. So he asked them to pray in in chapter 9 for more workers, and they prayed, and guess who he sends? The ones who prayed. He sends the ones who prayed. And you know the early church picked up on this? Those who had walked with Jesus knew how his life lived out this branding of compassion, that his life was different, that his life was unique, that his life was distinct from the culture in which he lived, that he lived out what he talked about, loving God and loving your neighbors yourself, And we, Pastor Norb talked about these banners last week. 
And the early church learned from their master. And they began to love their neighbors also. And it was a stark contrast to the culture in which they lived. And it was the Christians who took in the dying and nursed them when the plagues ravaged Rome around 260 A.D., when a plague of, of illness hit Rome so badly that one historian says on one day alone 5,000 people died. And the Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. And many in nursing and caring for their family and their friends transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of ours lost their lives in this manner. The heathen, he wrote, behaved in the very opposite way, pushing sufferers aside and fleeing the scene, throwing their dearest into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. It was the Christians in the early church who opened their tables to the poor and to the slaves and took care of the widows and orphans and, and there was no distinction between them. And it was the, the Christians who gave women dignity as Hannah said on that video. So many women live without this sense of dignity and care. They're second class people. When female infanticide was rampant and women were regarded as possessions only. Tertullian one of the earliest writers after Christ described the early church this way. It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us, there it is, in the eyes of many of our opponents. Oh, look, they say, look how they love. Friends, what if that was our branding today? What if people who came here to TCC or saw us in our community would say, I don't know why they go the extra mile. I don't know why they care, you, care about our community. But it's noteworthy. It is noteworthy. Or better yet, since love is a word so widely used and misunderstood today, what if people said, look what compassion they have. Another word is generosity. Look how generosity generous they are. I mean, I think all those words are one and the same. They're in the same camp. When you're compassionate, you're generous. I think when you're generous, you must be compassionate. God has put on my heart these days to encourage the followers of Christ in this area of generosity. Because Jesus was generous. His whole life and ministry was dedicated to generosity. His mission was generous. His heart was generous. His love was generous. His investment in others was generous. Imagine any congregation that really got a hold of the generosity of Jesus and just lived it out in every direction, in every facet. Imagine any one of us being able to capture the generous heart of our generous Jesus and living that out with our family and with our community, with one another and the body of Christ, and in other lands where the gospel still needs to be heard. 
I'm so excited that this is our theme, October 4 and 5, uh, a weekend with the theme of generosity and understanding how invasive this word is to the way we do life. My prayer is that TCC would really get it, that we would really get it, and that we would have the DNA of generosity just stamped all over us. Part of our identification, our logo, is creating a picture, an ambience, an environment. When we serve in the community, we create a, a picture of who Jesus is. And we undo a false perception of what the church is and what Christianity is all about. That's been so distorted by so many. Wouldn't it be awesome for others to understand the generous heart of Jesus because of the generous heart of his people? What is the branding of the people who take the name Christian in Edmonton? What is the branding of the followers of Christ who live in Terwilliger Town? Wouldn't it be encouraging if the branding looked different than the stereotypical response? Could the words ever be servanthood, generous, compassionate? Could we be known for our involvement, our integrity, our generosity, our love, our open arms? Could we be known for brokenness? Let our hearts be broken for the things that break the heart of God. That's a quote from Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision. Bob Pierce was a young man when he was motivated to, find, to found World Vision after speaking at a school in China. The next day, Pierce came back to wish the kids farewell. He was off back to the United States. And while he was there, he noticed one little girl, the schoolmaster, had no place to care for. Many other children were sharing the schoolmaster's food, but this little girl, there was just not enough for her. So Bob Pierce began sending $5 a month to sponsor this little girl whose parents had kicked her out of the home. And that was a motivating factor to start World Vision because he began to see this need not only in China, but he began to see it around the world. Let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. And it's a statement that Bob repeated often because he knew how easy it was to leave the third world, to leave an impoverished country and come back to North America and re-enter the bubble, the insulated comfort of all that we have in our world. So he kept saying it and saying it, let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. And I know it's our heart to keep taking ourselves out of the bubble. To keep taking ourselves out of the bubble. And to have our hearts sensitized to the needs, the great needs all around us. We have to keep doing it. We have to keep climbing out of the bubble because the bubble just kind of closes in on us again. Compassion International was founded by evangelist Reverend Everett Swanson, who was moved by the plight of orphans in South Korea. Evangelist Swanson traveled to South Korea to preach the gospel to the troops uh, in the Republic of Korea. And uh, during his, his visit, he encountered children orphaned by the war. 
Reverend Swanson was challenged by a missionary friend. He said, well, now that you've seen the need, what, what do you intend to do about it? And when he got home to the United States, there were two checks waiting for him. One was a check for $50, and there was another check waiting for him for $1,000. And he said, that was conclusive proof to me that God was in it, that he wanted me to take some steps of action, that he wanted me to get involved. That was 1952. Oh, look at what God has done with Compassion Canada, Compassion International. Today, more than 1.5 million children are sponsored around the world. People giving $40 a month, and it's spread all over the world. We're going back to El Salvador in November because we want to be a part of what God's doing in this ministry. We've just zeroed in on one country. We'll have another Compassion Sunday here in, in, in September. When we were in Peru, I think it's just a year ago, right about now, we came out of our bubble very quickly for Marg and myself and for those of us that were on that trip. Tremendous need. Tremendous need. A million people living on the hillside on the outskirts of Lima, Peru. A million people up in the hills. No power, no water, shacks. Difficult to climb up to the, those homes. Ten by ten shacks, corrugated tin roof. It's so easy to get out of whack in our world. I used to feel frustrated when one of my neighbors didn't cut their grass properly. I mean, how can you not trim it properly? How can you wait for three weeks and not... How can we have a neighbor like that? <laughs> oh, how out of whack. When you think around the world, many don't have a lawn. Many don't have a driveway. Many don't have a car. Many don't have food on their table. And I get upset about a lawn. Our care for others is important to the heart of God. When you read the scriptures over and over again, the theme of caring and uh, caring for the poor emerges. Justice, compassion, and the proclamation of the gospel. What a wonderful brand, compassion. Compassion, as some are saying, is the new evangelism. <laughs> really, it's the old evangelism. When you care for somebody, they open their heart to you. And you have an opportunity to share the message and love of Jesus Christ. You get to say Jesus has such compassion for you that he has entered into our suffering. That he didn't just look from afar and say, oh, it's too bad. But that he entered into our suffering. That he became Emmanuel, God with us. That he went to the cross and he entered in and he gave his life for us. Here's someone I want to follow. I want to follow this man, this God-man, for the rest of my life. What a logo. He's worthy of giving your whole life to him, day after day after day after day, your whole life. He's worthy of giving your gifts, your talents, your financial resources to you, too. He's willing to say, Lord, if you're turning me at this point in my life in this direction... Absolutely. For his message is transforming and so needed in our world today. And those are just two 
of his merits, his many merits, gentleness and compassion. 